Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. I hope you have started to realise, and we've looked at first love, what it is to rekindle our first love for Jesus. We looked at, and that was Revelation 2, we looked at Hosea 1, relentless love, so God is coming after us as a relentless lover. Uh, He's a jealous lover, but he's a relentless lover. Today we're going to look at this idea of uh, this morning of this unrequited love, when you offer love and you don't receive it, maybe the most painful experience in life. So I hope you've started to realise that the story of Hosea is a bitter, sweet love story, one of the most uh, moving love stories anywhere in the Bible and anywhere in ancient literature. It's a story of a man called to be a prophet of God, who was to communicate to the people of God that they'd turned from God to worship idols. They'd forsaken God, their lover, to run after any lovers. This isn't a usual calling, because Hosea has to live it out. For two reasons. He has to become a visual aid to the people. But if he's to communicate the message of God to the people of God, he has to feel the heart of God. And so he has to then go and marry a whore called Goma. Knowing full well she's going to be unfaithful to him, run after other lovers and have children with other lovers. And the children are called Jezreel because of a massacre that happened in Jezreel. Lo-ruhamah, which means not loved, because God is threatening not to love his people. And Lo-ami, because he's threatening to abandon his people. What God is calling Hosea to do will tear him apart. It will crush him. His heart will be trampled on and the pain will be unbearable. But that is the point. He wants Hosea to experience the agony of rejected love. When you reach out to someone and they spurn your love. When you open your arms up to be intimate with someone and they run away and trample on your heart. When you pour out your life into someone and they turn and say thanks, but no thanks. And so we learn that God is a passionate and jealous lover who wants to satisfy us. And we learn that our hearts quickly run after other gods. And so we're going to look at this in more detail today. We're going to look at what is idolatry, the problem of idolatry, and God's solution to idolatry, all in Hosea 3. So uh, let's get in there. What is idolatry? If you go to Hosea chapter, sorry, Hosea chapter 2, verse 5, uh, it says this. Hosea is asking uh, his children to speak to their mother. So if you look in verse 2, it says, Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband's. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and faithfulness from between her breasts. Verse 3, Otherwise I would strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her, turn her into a parched land and slay her with thirst. Verse 4, I will not show my love to her children because they are children of adultery. Now here we go. This is idolatry. Their mother has been unfaithful. She has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who will give me food, my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. What is idolatry? It's looking at a false lover and saying, you are going to be the one that provides for me. (coughs) So it's going to another lover for satisfaction, pleasure, security, and intimacy. Do you see that? She says, I'm going to go and find all the things that I'd find normally off my husband and what Israel would have found off Yahweh, their God. 
of other lovers, food, water, wool, linen, oil, and drink. Now, if you said to one of your friends who's not a Christian, don't break God's laws, they go, who are you to tell me not to break God's law? If you say to your friend, you know, it's not right to betray or be unfaithful to a partner, they might give you a second listening. See, today, people are not interested in whether they're breaking rules, but everyone understands what it is to break a relationship. And so Hosea is saying, that is what is going on. We often think of sin as breaking God's rules, but actually we should think about it breaking his heart and breaking our relationship with him. We're being unfaithful. Um, Now, Israel had every reason to trust God, because for 40 years in the wilderness, if you remember the story, God had provided bread from heaven and water from the rock. And it says in Numbers, you know, that their sandals never wore out and things. God miraculously provided. And yet Israel had lost trust in their God and looked to other things to provide their food and water. And so Gomer had had everything from Hosea, but looked to other men. So look what actually happens. It gets even worse. So first of all, I'm going to go to something else to find what I should find in God. Then you say... uh, Oh, verse 8, it's not on here. So verse 8, go to verse 8, it says this. Um, she has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her grain and the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. So Israel, first of all, said, I'm going to go and look for what only God should give her, them. And then when they found another lover, the very gifts that God had given them, they offered to false gods. I mean, she's so sort of emotive, and they're rubbing it in God's face. And if you remember, Baal means lord or husband, which is an irony. But Baals couldn't talk or listen. They were dead gods. They offered much but delivered little. So God's people were going to other lovers. They were going to the Canaanite god of Baal, or they just went to Egypt and Assyria and tried to find protection in them rather than in God. Um, so it's like this. It's like God saying... While you're jumping into bed and rubbing your body up next to another one, getting all hot and aroused and excited, I can see everything that is going on, and I can see that you're using the very gifts I gave you to offer them to other gods. So it's very sort of emotive here. So idolatry is taking, um, is looking for what God should give us, satisfaction, intimacy, pleasure, fulfillment, meaning. And go, I'm going to find all these things in something else. And then when you get this other thing, you take the very thing that got you know, your, your gifts and your strength and your life, and you start to offer it all to this idol, even though they're originally gifts from God. Tim Keller says this, The Bible sometimes speaks of idols using a marital metaphor. God should be the true spouse, but we desire and delight in other things more than God, then we commit spiritual adultery. adultery. Romance or success can become false lovers that promise to make, promise to make us feel loved and valued. And he says, how do you know what your idols are? You locate your lovers in your daydreams, he says. How do I know what I'm living for, what I'm worshipping, what I'm finding myself in? Well, where do, where do I go when I'm bored in the middle of the day and my mind wanders? Where does my mind wander to? It wanders to my God. I wonder where your mind... Where do you, you can locate your false lovers in your daydreams because you're dreaming about them. And you always dream about lovers. And you can locate your false lovers in your nightmares because of the fear of losing them. 
How do I know what my idols are? How do I know what gods I'm looking to to give me security, intimacy, satisfaction? Where do my thoughts go when I'm daydreaming? And where do my thoughts go when I'm having, not necessarily a literal nightmare, but that fear? And so we can locate our false idols. Tim Keller goes on to say, religion can become an idol. I can find meaning, satisfaction, just by doing lots of rituals and going to church and praying and reading my Bible. It's nothing about God. It's yesterday's talk, isn't it? You know, I do all these things, but Jesus isn't there. You can find that in Christian ministry, if you lead churches, you can find your meaning and satisfaction in being a leader. You can find it in your family. <coughs> I'm supposed to be a mom or a dad, but if all your meaning and satisfaction is derived from your children, you find it in your job. I'm supposed to work hard, yeah, but if all of your meaning and satisfaction and pleasure and security is found, you can find it in money. You can find it in absolutely anything. Now, I want you to see something here. She said, I will go. She started to believe something. So this is how idolatry works. You believe a lie, your heart desires it, and then you go after it. Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? The tempter comes along and says, if you take control of your own life, you will be happier. The lie, desire. She saw the fruit. She was pleased with action. You believe a lie, you desire that thing, and then you do. Israel started to believe, well, we'll be safer if we go to Assyria or Egypt, or if we offer these sacrifices to Baal. Okay, then you start to desire these false gods and live for them and sacrifice to them, and obviously you're then in the action. Goma said the same. She said, I'm going to go, oh, this lover, this husband, this, I'll be more intimate here, I'll be more happy here. I'm going to, and my heart is now captured, and I'm in the middle of adultery now. And so you believe a lie, you set your heart on it, and then you take action. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. That's what happens with Gomer. That's what happens with Israel. That's what happens with us. What lies do we believe? Do we say, look, if I have more money, I'll be happier? It's a lie. If I have a relationship, I'll be happier? It's a lie. I mean, it might give you temporary, but it's not going to give you that ultimate satisfaction. What is the thing you believe that's a lie that you think will give satisfaction. Only God can give it. Now, what's the problem with idolatry? Let's carry on from verse 5. The mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who will give me food and, and water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers but will not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. The problem with idolatry is you never find your idol. You never get that satisfaction. You never get that fulfillment. You chase and you chase and you think, I'm going to go and get this. And you never get it. You chase but you never find. If I, have a, if I, if I had a bit more money, then I'd be happy and when I've got a bit more money, I want more, and then I want more. If I had one relationship and I was looking for satisfaction there, then I'll need another one when that one starts to become difficult. And, and so on, you start chasing. Because the thing you'd set your heart on, you started to believe and then set your heart on, you never actually find, because you're only supposed to find it in God. So everything else is a counterfeit. It's like salt water. The more you drink of the salt water, the more parched you get. Has anyone ever heard the story of how Eskimos catch wolves? If you've heard it, then you'll know what's coming. If you don't, this is how it goes. An Eskimo gets a knife and he dips it in blood. 
and then it freezes. They're in you know, cold places. Then they dip it in another coat of blood, and that layer freezes. Then another, and that freezes. Then another, and they keep dipping it in blood. And there's layers and layers and layers of blood on the knife. Then they stick the knife in the ground, upside down, with the blade up, but it's surrounded by layers and layers and layers and layers of blood. And then the wolf comes along, smells the blood, and starts to lick the layers of blood. As you can imagine, the wolf starts to get very aroused and excited because there's all this blood. And as he licks, it starts to melt and it becomes nicer. So he starts going for it and going for it. But every time he licks, the layers go down until he cuts his own tongue. And then he's licking his own blood, but it tastes so good. And then he kills himself. The, the thing he thought was going to satisfy him is the very thing that kills him. And it's a bit like that with false lovers. You chase after them, but you never find them. So you end up enslaved to them. They become a master in your life, but not a master that lifts you up, but crushes you to the ground. So let's have a look at how this works. Some of you will have seen this before, some of you won't, and I'm going to move on and show you something hopefully none of you have seen, so even if you've seen it before. This is how slavery works. We're supposed to live as free people, free like Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. But we, what we do is we say, look, a good thing, sex and relationship uh, with the opposite sex, because we're in the metaphor language of, of marriage at the moment, it's a good thing. A good thing, or sports, music, money, a neutral thing becomes an ultimate thing. I won't be happy. I won't be secure. I won't have confidence to move out in life. I won't be able to make bold decisions. I won't be able to sleep at night. I won't be fulfilled unless I have this thing. I won't be able to look certain people in the face unless I have this thing. A good thing, doing well in your exams at university, being a good mother or father, being a good friend, Good things, if they become everything, then it's an idol. It starts to rule you because you chase and chase and chase to achieve this thing that's going to satisfy you, but you never find it. So it doesn't ever satisfy you, and so you just chase and chase and chase. And like the wolf, you're getting more and more excited and more relentless and more passionate, but actually it's just going to destroy you in a minute. And it's affecting your decisions, your emotions, your actions. Sometimes you're as high as a kite. I feel so good today because I have my idol. I feel so depressed today because that thing I was living for was taken from me. You see, this thing that was supposed to give you life is not giving you life. It's leaving you like an emotional yo-yo. And you make really bad decisions based on it. And like 20 years later, you go, why the heck did I make that decision? Because you're living for a false god. And you take actions that you may regret. So it becomes a destructive thing. A good thing. Anything in the world that's good. Or even neutral. But comes an ultimate thing, I've got to have this. It then starts to control your life as you chase. And then it starts to destroy your life. And it dehumanizes you. Because we were made to worship God and you become like what you worship. And if you worship false gods, you become like false gods who cannot speak, who cannot talk, cannot listen, cannot smell. You become dehumanized. To keep the language of idolatry going from the Old Testament. And so we get all these things. Personal addiction, relationship breakdown, emptiness, loneliness, dissatisfaction, lies, jealousy, irrational emotions, abuse, affairs, cheating, deceit, exhaustion, feeling constantly irritable. All these things come because our idols are not satisfying us because we're always chasing. Let me use another example because some of you have seen me do that before. Jesus says there's no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. 
So Jesus is saying, you've got a good tree, bears good fruit. Got a bad tree, bears bad fruit. You can tell a tree because of the fruit it produces. And then he said, in a similar metaphor, he says, people do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from rice. A tree is consistent with the, what the tree is will produce the fruit. Okay? So it's continually getting good fruit from good trees, one type of fruit from one type of tree. The good man now brings good things out of the good sword up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil sword up in his heart. But out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. He says, just as a good tree brings good fruit, and a fig tree brings fruits, so a good heart brings good things, and a bad heart brings bad things. Everything is coming out of what you desire. And what you desire is ultimately coming from what you believe. So, how does this work again with idolatry, false lovers, slavery? What you love, the great Niagara, uh, if I'm living for popularity in people, for success and achievement, for power and status, for a comfortable life, if I'm living to be a good father, if I'm living to be a good Christian, I just want to be known as a good Christian, whatever it is, if I'm living for my weight and my looks, if I'm living for pleasure, it's going to bear all kinds of fruits in my life. Exhaustion, bad sleep, inability to switch off, fear, nervous, envy, anxiety, jealousy, stress, lying, swearing, adultery, touchiness, controlling, arrogance, uh, unfulfilled sex, multiple relationships. I mean, you can list what you want. All the destructive things in our lives come because our hearts are desiring something that's not God, and that becomes because we believe this lover is going to satisfy us more than God. What is idolatry? What is a false lover? It's saying to something else, you are going to give me what only God can give me. Meaning, satisfaction, fulfillment, purpose. The problem with idolatry is as we run after it, we never find it. We chase and we chase. It becomes a spiritual master that controls us and crushes us and it reaps a destructive fruit in our lives. This is what Goma is experiencing as she runs from Hosea. This is what Israel is experiencing as it runs to false lovers. This is what we experience when we didn't say. The solution to idolatry. This are just some of the most beautiful verses in the whole scripture. Verses 14 to 16. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I'm going to lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Acre a door of hope. There I will sing as in the days of her youth, as the days she came up out of Egypt. In the days, declares the Lord, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the name of the Baals from your lips. No longer will their names be invoked. So let's stop there for a minute. What God says is, I am going to, let me back up. The solution to idolatry, what would you do if you were God again? What would you do if you were Hosea? Do you come with anger? Do you force them to follow you? God says this in verse 14. He says, Therefore I am now going to allure her. I'm going to lead her into the desert and speak harshly, rashly, angrily, tenderly to her. So God says, I'm going to win you back. Now, just think about it for a moment. We often default to thinking about God as the almighty creator who controls all things, who made the world, and he's all-powerful. He is. True. <coughs> Power can never win you a relationship, a real relationship. You can't force your way on people. So God, you go, well, why did God just force everyone to believe in him? You know, isn't he failing in this task of running the universe? 
Because if he forced himself on us, it would not be a relationship. So what he does is, I've got to come and speak tenderly. And this is the most amazing idea that God wants to woo us back. He's not going to force us back. We can destroy our lives like the wolves destroying their lives. But God is there going, I want to take you. Where does God want to take his people? Why does he want to take them to the desert? What happened in the desert? He made his marriage vows to Moses. I want to go back to the engagement. Do you remember that first love? When I'd rescued you and I'd carried you on eagles. With I want to go back to that place where you knew that I was your God and you were my people, you were my friend. I want to go back there so I can speak to you tenderly again. I mean, this is just so amazingly powerful and wonderful. God wants to woo us with his love. He wants to satisfy us. He wants to win us back. He can't just click his fingers and make everything happen. He can't just wave a magic wand and wield his power. God isn't this distant God who rules by power and force. He's a close God. He's a lover. He's a husband. And power is useless when it comes to restoring relationships. Power is useless when it comes to restoring relationships. It solves nothing. You have to come in. Relationships are painful and messy. There's hurt and humiliation. It means reopening old wounds. If you're not speaking tenderly to someone as you reopen an old wound, you're going to destroy them. God wants to speak tenderly as he reopens the wounds. It means you have to work at relationships. He wants them back in the desert where he can say, well, what does he want to say? Look at this. He wants to say, I will again. He wants to reinstate the marriage vows. When you, are, when you get married, you say, I will, I will. Will you, Steve, do this for the end? I will. That's a marriage vow. God is wanting to say, I want to reinstate my marriage vows to my people. I will betroth them to you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness. And this is what the marriage is going to be about. Righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness. And you will acknowledge the Lord. So God wants us back. He wants to woo us back. He doesn't want to force us. He's not going to go, stop doing that. It's going to make a mess of your life. I mean, he, he kind of does do that, but it's not going to be deep enough. He wants to woo us and satisfy us. So the solution to idolatry is a greater lover who's more satisfying, who ravishes us, who makes our knees knock more than all the other lovers, who is capt- we ca- we're captivated within our daydreams more than all the other lovers. It's a greater satisfaction, pleasure, security, intimacy, and it comes with total commitment you'll have heard the illustration before how do I get Jacob and Annabelle to let go of that forbidden object I can come with force it will breed resentment in their hearts and they'll probably desire that forbidden object more or I can come with a chocolate cake and they will drop the forbidden object without even thinking because something more magnificent is upon them and they will love me God says, I could come in force, but you'd resent me. And actually, you'd want that false lover more. Because it had been forced out of your hands. I want to lure it out. I want to woo it. I want to give you something far greater. I want to give you myself as you were made. as As you were made to live in a relationship with me. What is idolatry? Going after another lover for satisfaction, pleasure, security, intimacy. That only God should give us. Only God can give us. It's what we were made for. The problem with idolatry is slavery. We chase and are never satisfied. And it wreaks a destructive fruit in our lives. God's solution to idolatry is not to come with force, but to 
come with greater love, greater satisfaction, pleasure, and total commitment. Isaiah says this, As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. You will never, your heart will never fully change until you know that God is rejoicing over you as a lover. Until that truth sinks so deep that the creator of the universe is rejoicing over me as a, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. When that truth hits me, I may respond back with the same. I won't be lost with other people. And so that's what the book of Hosea is all about. 